welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey Mike, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? Hi Danny, I'm good, thank you. And it's uh, thank you very much for um, inviting me on as well. No, no, the pleasure is all mine. So, so Mike, usually the first thing I do is I ask my guests to pick four numbers from one to a hundred. So go for it. Oh, nine, uh, 58, 72 and 88. Perfect, perfect. We will come back to them a little bit later on. Okay. So usually I ask my guests to kind of summarise yourself with a logline, Mike. Can you remember what your logline was? Oh, it was something like um, making the most of what I've got and and loving every minute of it. Okay. Um, which which took me a while actually to kind of think through. It's it's uh, it's not easy actually, but yeah, I think that I'm happy with that. I think. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one, and we will definitely um, come into that again in a sec. So, Mike, I guess one of the open questions really is kind of. When you was in school and the teacher would come up to you and say, Mike, what is it you want to be? Or Michael, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What is it you would you would you would say to that teacher? Yeah, well, I was definitely Michael at school. Yeah. I wasn't I didn't uh, you know. <laughs> um oh well uh it's funny really when you look back at the sorts of things you oh, well when I look back at the sort of things I was thinking about doing. My earliest memory of something I wanted to do was to be um a transport policeman transport police officer i haven't got the faintest idea why not a clue i mean not just a police officer a transport police officer <laughs> um i i to this day i don't know i mean if i remember right there i even remember bringing up a program age nine my mum made, rang me up, made me ring up to have a talk to somebody that was on the radio about being a transport police officer so how bizarre but i also but i actually got more seriously into kind of catering and and, and being a chef and cooking at home i did a lot of cooking i got a bit older my early teens i kind of thought a chef but actually then thinking sort of hotel management um and um uh, clearly decided not to go in and do that uh, i think i like the idea of i don't know really i, don't, I guess we, i knew about hotels a bit i like the idea of being involved in running one um so so that yes those things and I, i've clearly you know i ended up in, in the end actually going into sort of teaching youth work originally and then and a formal education for many years so i kind of really didn't yeah didn't follow those pathways at all wow okay i mean even just them two had two completely opposite ends of of kind of jobs you know it's it's an interesting one it's um yeah i think our imagination when we're children is is awesome because we, we can kind of we're always curious right it's kind of that's just the nature of, of, of children i guess but i guess mike before you know uh, for you know we, we and you have engaged on, on linkedin and whatnot i think we've been at a couple of kind of mm. events and, and at the same time and stuff but but maybe from a listeners who don't know who you are maybe you could give us a bit of a, a whistle stop tour of kind of where you've come from right the way through to kind of where you are now yeah so um I, I suppose i've had a bit of a um a bit a bit of a, a bit of a change over over years so i suppose basically I, I i went in originally as younger when i was younger much younger um into uh, into youth work for a few years and i hadn't been to university and, and without boring people too much i i got to age 24 23 24 and was kind of worried i was getting a bit old <laughs> and uh, and kind of decided I, I you know to kind of look at another career. I went to uni where I did social sciences and loved those. And interestingly enough, my academic subjects I did, uh, it, which was psychology and sociology, and my youth work that I'd done previously, I kind of was able to marry those together, which led me into the world of further education. Um, and and um, 
and spent 22 years doing that until just about three years ago um, and was in and, and got into management senior leadership roles across the further education sector. So I suppose I've been involved in designing learning and running organizations and leadership management and, and organizational management for much of my career really. But 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 without you know but, but briefly I I took a view a couple of years ago that you know the world of further education the public sector is a tough old place to be lots of changes and I kind of looked ahead fifteen years until I retire one day hopefully you know and I thought I'm not sure I want to be doing this for the next fifteen years um, and I I guess I took a bit of control of where things were for me and. I don't know what, well, at the time, I didn't know if it's brave or foolhardy. Um, three years on, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. So I guess, well, whether it's brave or not, it was, it was the right decision. And, and um, I, start, I took a bit of time out of my further education life and started looking around at what I wanted to do. And the more I looked at it and thought about it, I realized that learning and development was kind of where my passion was, you know? Um, passion from working with people in, in designing learning, passion with working with people in organizations to help them be better in their jobs, which is what I was starting to do a lot in my senior roles in colleges, actually, though I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really thought about it as learning development because I was in a learning organization anyway. So I kind of thought about it as just, you know, helping people be better teachers, helping people help students to be more, to be more um, successful but when I analyzed it and, and, and did and had, had that time which I was lucky to have time to reflect you know I realized that actually um, it was that I wanted to do it was helping people do their jobs helping develop people helping organizations develop and be better and be more effective and so um, you know that took me to took me out to a couple of years ago in the last two years two and a bit years I've been in what you call corporate learning development um, and until recently a big FTSE 250 company um, and literally three months ago moved to where I am now uh, at Emerald Group um, so I'm, I suppose I'm, I, I suppose I kind of class myself as new to the world of learning development and when I made that move a couple of years ago I kind of entered into a whole new world literally, literally. And, um, I, I, you know, I could talk about that if need be later, but via social media, and particularly via Twitter, I kind of, you know, I kind of view it as a whole door opened up and I came into literally a whole new world of my life. My professional life has literally been revolutionized as a result of that. And to some extent, my personal life, but, but, but definitely my professional life. It's a whole new world for me. So I've kind of... I was about to start singing there. Um, I was about, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it is a whole new world, literally, and I, and I won't get started for too long, so I can literally go on forever about how my life has changed and the world of L&D has helped with that and the world of Twitter and the people I've met and the contacts I've met. So I now work as a learning and development, learning and organizational development manager at Emerald Group. Um, People may know them for owning uh, for good practice and towards maturity and mind tools being part of that business. Um, and there's a whole academic publishing part of it as well. And that's what I do. And I've been there since February and um, loving it. Cool, cool. So, so yeah, maybe you could um, maybe give us a kind of a, a snapshot into kind of what the what a standard day looks like for Mike. And, and this can be from when you wake up, or this can be from the minute you get in the office. 
Well, in terms of my day, it depends whether I'm working from home or going into Bingley. I tell you, if I'm, work, if I'm going into Bingley, I get up and the alarm goes off at half past five. <laughs> if I'm working from home, it goes off at half past eight. <laughs> so that's quite a big thing. But um, I mean, I'm, I'm still in the early days working there. And, and, and really the challenges are, the challenges um, are around, um, so to say, um, I suppose the key things I've been in the in the middle of in the middle of working really are around really trying to put a sort of strategic structure to the way in which the L and D function is working, and and a large part of my work at the moment is really having lots and lots of conversations with, with the business leaders and managers and people across the business, and and doing that digging. I, I mean, I guess you know you, it might be called a needs analysis or i often refer to it in the business as a business analysis because i'm really looking to link what we're doing with obviously what the business needs are so a lot of my time at the moment is really still talking to people i'm uh, you know go, uh, uh, going to be going out to other bits of the business around the uk in the next couple of weeks to really have some more in-depth discussions with them trying to get my my uh, under the skin of it and and that's particularly the case of bits of the business i'm not familiar with so a big bit of the business this historic part um, that's been in place over 50 years is the academic publishing. Now, I understand academic publishing from the side of as a user, you know, I've been a student and I, you know, use, use journals and books and stuff, but knowing, understanding it from the academic, from the publishing part and the publisher side is very new. So I've been really kind of trying to get get my head around kind of how the publishing process works the difference between editors and publishing editors and senior publishing editors is <laughs> is still slightly confusing to me <laughs> um but it's been lots of discussion and, and then also i suppose the other elements been really working with my team to really get them on board with kind of a new way of working and i suppose really it's very much around having sort of having those discussions with people and, and and exploring ways of working that are not about just running courses and moving away from that sort of more traditional approach uh, and really trying to sort of show the, the sort of path of um, a, a different way in which organizations can develop and people can learn and, and develop uh, and, and 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 some really interesting piece of work I've been working on really at the moment have been really good some co real code good code delivery work particularly around values and culture and behaviors and and sort of visioning work as well and what's been good about that is you know I've been able to really do that with teams that's helped me understand the business more but it's also helped people I guess get a sense of how we can do some of this stuff um and, and so really yeah i've been having some brilliant conversations it sounds like i just sit around having cups of tea chatting all day uh well i do no i don't um, um so you know it's hard to give a typical day but that's the sort of stuff i'm working on and, and i know obviously it's a nice balance between getting on getting in front of people delivering things doing some workshop work starting to look at look at some of the you know the, the, the things we use the platforms we have the resources we have in place to really help people use those um but you know it's um i forgot how hard it is to how long it can take to really get your head around and you're under the skin of an organization you know to really feel it and i'm lucky at emerald to be able to do that in a way that maybe previous role in a FTSE 250 was just near impossible to do um but in a company emerald size and nature it's easier not easy but, but easier <laughs> It's interesting, though. I guess kind of what you're describing right now is is that newbie onboarding experience, right? You know, it's kind of. I think getting time in with people and and understanding their world and their challenges and whatnot is kind of something what 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 tends to be overlooked 
overlooked a lot of times in, in onboarding. Just actually people design this thing, but actually miss out something as simple as get a bit, get a brew, get a brew, sit down and have a chat. It's it's kind of, I think it's good for people to kind of be the newbie. Um, not as not writ not often all the time, but you know it's always it's always quite humbling to kind of go right back and be the newbie into a business, because you 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 know as much as we try to use this kind of empathize, empathize and this human centered design approach, actually being new is being new. There's no two ways around it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and I, I you know actually I do enjoy I have enjoyed that. Um, you know, in many respects. Being newbie, the newbie, and being there the first couple of months is some, in some ways the easier bit, easier in as much as you know. Exp- I don't know, maybe expectations are not complete, are not set yet, and 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 I think I'm lucky because I've been given the opportunity to you know to do that and and take a little bit of time because I, I guess there's an I guess there's a risk in places, and and you know this very much relates to induction onboarding that people are like expected to kind of get stuck in and get involved and get doing stuff immediately and and of course you know of course some roles involve that um and and but i would say my getting stuck in and doing stuff was that having lots of conversations talking to people asking questions maybe sometimes stupid questions particularly when i was talking to some of the people in publishing because i'm like i don't get this um and you know it's like if you sometimes some of the easiest some of the more obvious questions elicit some of the really interesting answers um, and, and and sometimes answers people hadn't or people haven't been made to think about certain things so i kind of i really enjoyed that and i i enjoy meeting new people getting into new places i've always enjoyed joining new organizations um it's just been good this time to just have that little bit of space but i think i think you're right about onboarding and uh, indeed we're looking at that ourselves and i'm able to use hopefully some of my own experiences recently to help impact on that um because you know, I think I, I don't think it's a one size fits all for onboarding either for people, um, and it's that balance, I guess, between kind of what an organisation wants overall versus what a localised team or department need from people. But you know, if people if people come into organisation and don't get that right and don't feel good, don't fully understand it, and particularly don't get where they fit in it. I think that I think that can be problematic longer term. Um, so a little bit of time at the beginning, I think yields really positive results for people longer down the line. You know, further down the line. Yeah, definitely. I think I say this quite a lot because onboarding is like a real passion of mine, and I, and I think it's very rare you get these opportunities where the people who you're going to be bringing in or the people who you're going to be working with, i.e., the newbies, they're so open to it, they're excited, they're already in this kind of real positive mindset a lot of the times. So a lot of the hard work is kind of done because they're open to this and they're taking everything in. But yeah, it's just kind of one of them things what, if untapped, it's just, it ends up being a, a massive missed opportunity. So whenever I kind of start a new role, I tend to do a journal for the first three months. So I, I log on my frustrations, I log what, you know, my positives, my frustrations and whatnot. Because I know at some point I'm going to come around to that redesigning this kind of, onboarding at some point and it's kind of like okay that's where i've got this raw data so to speak of my own feelings yeah that's really good you know what <laughs> i started doing that for the first week and i'm i'm i've oh, and, I, and i didn't carry it on i'm just um i find doing things by you know 
uh, say having a habit of something really tough and actually that was one of the things that kind of went by the way though a lot of it's in my head but, but interesting enough about people being people being new and being open and i read it i can't remember who said it now but someone on twitter the other week was talking about something and um the point was made you know and this is good for learning development you get in with people when they're keen and eager and open so i'm you know really keen that we go and have conversations with people when they arrive when they're there when they're there early and you have them in their first couple of you know in the first few days when when you can kind of present in, in the con this context present kind of how we work from a development perspective at the business get people to understand this isn't you know for me it's helping people not to think oh yes learning development is just you know you know going on a course there's a list of things to go on and get involved with it's not that and i think you know people depending on what their own backgrounds and experiences have been previously won't always get that so i'm keen to kind of yeah get them when they're get them when they're eager um and before they get sort of too manic with work try and set the tone with them you know yeah and it's kind of that kind of when coming from a corporate kind of moving into a consultancy back you know world me now i think that's the first thing you, you see in kind of this this corporate especially corporate onboarding you kind of see you know becoming very eager and you know, and if if done right, then L and D becomes this really, really positive channel. But if done wrong, half the time we don't even know an L and D team exists. And it is about kind of like say tapping into that when, as and when they they're kind of eager and excited and and open. I guess is how I see it. Yeah, so I'm so determined that people don't look at you know L and D as you know in that traditional way which you know really does would 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 and does frustrate me um you know it's not that function just to go to when there is a problem it's not just that function to call upon when or where's the list of you know the years courses so we can work out what we yeah. like the look of and go to you know yeah where's a catalog of things i can book onto to show that i'm developing that kind oh, of stuff. <laughs> gosh, absolutely um but that but you know that takes time to change in places. I mean, it's still for all the talk that you know in the sort of network I'm in and we're in and with people we meet and talk with. For all the talk around the changes and how we're working and you know talking about seventy twenty ten, talking about digital strategy, um, you know whatever we might whatever it might be. There's so many many bits of the business, so many businesses, so many you know organisations around the country. Um, that are doing stuff in, in the in, sake of a better term in the old-fashioned way and i'm not pretending that definitely i'm not pretending that i do it brilliantly yet but i think it's about at least having those conversations isn't it being engaged in those and thinking because i, I talk about it as a very long tail i think it's a very long tail in the lnz sector so at the front of it you've got people pushing ahead doing interesting stuff you then got people a bit behind it who are doing bits of that and they're talking lots about it. And as you go further down, you get less and less talk and, and, and exploration around the new stuff and the ideas and how it should be. And you have people doing just putting it on because that's how it's done. So you get towards the end of the tale and there's no thought, there's no discussion around it. And it's just not having any impact. It's, it's literally, well, pretty much pointless. Um, and, and I, you know, and I think that's a real frustration for many people. And for me, it really frustrates me. So I, I suppose since I come into LNZ fairly recently in that sense, I feel like I can evangelize. I feel like I'm evangelizing sometimes with people about it, you know? And I think uh, it's interesting you mentioned that. I kind of, I put a post out on LinkedIn last Friday about 
actually is LD needed anymore. Um, it was a provocative post just to kind of see the, the feeling of it. And actually, what you've kind of just mentioned there, you're not a real far end who are kind of, well, it's just always done. There's no thought. There's no. There's no kind of. There's just no passion in it, and we've just always done it that way. I think they're the ones who are going to be disappearing. So I talk about this L&D, I was like, you can rip L&D out now. And then, I mean, you know, the logical business side of me, um, if I was asked that question, I'd say, actually, the L&D team needs to be remastered. But um, the provocative kind of side of me was like, rip L&D out now. Your marketing comms, your product designers, they will all come up with better solutions. But I think the people who you just mentioned on that far end, they're the ones who, if anyone, should be a little bit worried about that. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, as a thing. I I, I mean, I'm not even sure about the words learning and development. I mean, I don't mind the words per se, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but although, oh, having said that, my co- my new colleagues, I must have, I've written, and I've written a blog about this, must have bored them to death because I spent the last three months saying, oh, I don't really like using this term. I don't really like that term. I don't really like using this word. Um, um, but, yeah, you know, I think Ellen, I think learning development doesn't really sum what we do up anymore. And actually, in the, and I... I borrow this from mainly from David James, who talks about performance and capability, and I like that term. And actually, when we put our strategies together, I'm going to call it, I think, if I'm allowed to, a performance and capability strategy, because it does what it says. I know there are, I know there are arguments about whether it should be performance, because that means lots of other things as well. But, you know, there's no ideal, is there? And you have to go with what works. I'm a big believer in language making a difference. Um, but the other thing about the long, the long tail and people being having to be aware of, you know, their own future and the organisations is... Um, I find this really curious. I think learning and development is so often let off the hook. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't, because I think people that run organizations and businesses, successful ones, who are very, you know, capable, intelligent, good people who are able to run them so they are doing well, they would not treat other bits of the business in the way LND is treated in the sense that, they would be challenged. They would be asked for value for money. They would be checked out as to how it's impacting on the business business performance. So often, L and Z, from my limited experience and people I talk to, very little of this happens. You know, they just don't get asked. And L and Z, long as L and Z is delivering something that seems to fit with the business, and maybe there are some metrics. You know, um, sometimes called vanity metrics. You know, around numbers, bums on seats, time, hours, stuff like that. Then people seem satisfied often or businesses seem business leaders seem satisfied and i i struggle i'm not a business leader um though i have led you know a bit of a college before but i but i don't get that i struggle to understand how lnt so often it's just like okay get on with it you know why are we not tested out why are we not challenged you know and and i think yeah uh, yeah so my, my my kind of tweet was my tweet my post was kind of if L and if the L and D function was kind of summed up as one person in the organisation, would the business have sacked them already? And it's it's provocative, yeah, and 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 kind of the reason and my reasons why I've kind of put in there. But it's going back to kind of what you said. We're kind of getting let let off the hook. It's a bit like that underperformer who everyone knows is underperforming, but he's a nice guy. So maybe yeah, good, maybe. It's good. No, it's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. Um, it's a blind. It's a it's a blind spot. But you know what? I'm not even though it's not even sure. It's people don't think we're performing. I think, I think they. I think sometimes there's the case is they think we are performing, but just 
just they don't know what we're meant to be doing or they're not you know it's, it's a it's a strange one and I'm, it's strange it's persisted for so long although that tide is turning i would have thought it would have turned a long 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 time ago and faster yeah so i think business leaders business leaders organization leaders don't help with the long l and d tail and I, and of course i've i guess i've got to say it as well some people l and d don't help with their with the long tail either because they're just perpetuating what's always been in place and i should emphasize before i sound high and mighty that <laughs> i'm you know this is tough stuff some of it um and i don't feel at all that not remotely that I want to be where I'd like to be yet for me or my organization but I take you know but I but I like to think that I'm you know learning and talking and reading and trying and engaging to help move that on and, and I think that's all we can ask any all we can ask anyone to do really yeah and and it does sound like we we beat L&D up a lot of the time we have to remember you know L&D 90% of what we're, 80% of what we do is, is great stuff and I, I use they us of what we do is great there's so much good stuff what L&D do but you know it's easier as as is always the case on social media to pick up on the negative or the constructive or whatever but it's I think it's important but we highlight that we are fundamentally L&D lovers and it's kind of it's an easy one to pull things apart I kind of always say it's the easiest thing in the world to pull apart somebody else's work and I'm sure I'm sure these conversations aren't kind of exclusive to L&D I'm sure marketing and and finance and whatnot and, and are having similar conversations in some way so it's it's a it's a funnier world i think with lnd but an interesting one definitely so i'm gonna just do a bit of um some word i'm gonna fire some words out at you and what i want you to do mike is tell me what comes to mind to these words oh dear. <laughs> okay and yeah are we ready i think i've got i've got four for you so the first okay. one um it's not really words it's numbers 70 20 10 Oh, um, I know that one as well. I know the answer. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, that is that's about recognizing that people develop within the organisation across every aspect of their time and work there. And I'm, for me, it's about getting people. This is what I've alluded to, I guess, already earlier on. It's getting people to really recognise that that learning takes place in it, through experience all the day, every day it takes place with learning with people and developing with people and it does take place with more sort of structured courses or resources but it but for me for me at least it underpins what we're about though i would say the actual numbers i'm beginning i come to a view that numbers aren't you aren't that useful anymore i've come to a view and I, do, I tend not to use numbers anymore i use them as shorthand with with colleagues i guess but generally use different words like you know experienced people and um and and sort of structure to help kind of explain what they are because i think people get might get too tied up with the percentages which i don't think helps the overall discussion okay um the next one digital body language digital body language oh goodness me um i oh whew. I think that I would say that for me, I, I think what comes to mind is the way in which we shape a, a sort of digital learning within the work we do. Kind of for me, what that what that looks like, kind of what the balance digital learning 
digital is so huge we talk about it sometimes as though it was a thing and it's it's so big and potentially complex and impactful so for me it's kind of the sort of the way we're shaping that to fit around the particular business's needs, i.e. what bit of digital do we think works and what bit of digital is particularly useful for the organization's needs. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, two more. Um, digital transformation. Well, I, I, I said a really big buzz term, I guess, in, in recent times. For me, I think for me, it's about not just not million, the, not massively dissimilar to the previous bit, I guess, but it's about really shaping. It's, it's, it's recognizing that actually digital has a massive impact for us to, to, to develop in our lives, in our busy lives, in our disparate lives, in our connected worlds. Um, and and that, um that there's a need to you know and, and actually the digital our digital life is massively huge as part of our personal life and for me i think sometimes in the work context we haven't we don't we haven't always caught up with how people use digital in their personal lives and we haven't we haven't kind of capitalized on everyday digital skills that people have for work so people don't give a second that you know looking at resources online off you know off, 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 in their personal life through twitter or maybe through facebook people connect in digital ways people learn through youtube and all other ways we use videos all the time we we might use memo stuff for, for some of the apps we use but the question is do we take that into our everyday world so the transformation bit for me is particularly around capitalizing on the skills people actually have day to day and becoming more confident with using them in the workplace okay okay and the last one is leadership oh absolutely critical um critical uh, for me le leadership is sometimes done very well and sometimes very badly and i've experienced that myself in places and for me leadership Two things I want to say, I guess. One thing is that the, the role of a leader is massively impactful on everybody in the organization. Leaders are very visible. Leaders, leaders cast a shadow that everyone sees whether they realize it or not. And they, the leaders in the organization, absolutely help to shape the culture, the way we do things, what, what how things work. And that shadow is powerful. And from a learning development perspective, I believe a big role that we have to help people is to recognize that shadow to help them develop the skills, understanding, insight into how they operate and how they cast it, how they cast their shadow to, to help the organization develop and be, be the organization they want it to be. Okay, okay, good shout, good shout. So, yeah, I don't go easy, do I? <laughs> so, I guess kind of, I want to kind of dig into a little bit more about you kind of really, Mike. And, you know, when we go for interviews and we've got to show this best self and we've got to show every great example we've done. But actually, I think one of the best questions we should be asking is actually show me your, what your failure CV or your failure resume looks like. So, I guess kind of putting that question over to you, Mike, if, if I was to ask you what's the one biggest thing what stand out on your failure resume what and i'm not i'm saying resume but cv what would what would it be 
you think about particularly so uh, okay well i mean i think about my earlier life if i think about work particularly sure um well well to, i'm gonna say i'm gonna say two things actually because i think it ties in partly to my 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 log line actually so the first the first thing is messing up my o levels and i'm that old who wear o levels um kind of once in a half times and then, and then even my a levels um, a little bit as well and at age 19 was like I think my parents despaired is what I was going to do um, so there's that um, and, and maybe revisit that if need be but but then but, but then um, much more recently in, in the last 10 years or so is leaving a job um, a senior role uh, as a vice principal or deputy principal actually in a sixth form college in Manchester leaving that after about 14 15 months because I decided I couldn't do that job in that place um, with, with you know, various reasons and and that was um, that was a record that was there lots of reasons for that and I don't won't put it all down just to me but in the day it's my decision and I, I and I think leaving leaving a role after that short period of time in a high profile role in that organization where I wasn't able to do and to make the change and the differences I would have expected of me and did beforehand and has subsequently but I didn't in that role um, was really tough um, and though I have def I've succeeded in, a, in another college in a similar role after that you know, and I absolutely completely feel I've, you know, if I needed a vindication, I've, I've got that. I still, in my head, I still think back to that point eight, nine years ago and kind of, you know, I keep replaying, well, what could I have done differently? And of course, the stuff I've learned in the subsequent years, I would absolutely approach that role differently. Whether I would have stayed there longer than 14 months, I don't know. There's reasons why I probably wouldn't have been able to. But, but actually, um, I I look back and think, could I approach things differently? And what would I've done? As challenging that would have been, it's very interesting. So that kind of stays with me quite a lot, actually, from that from that period, and it's kind of, I guess, propelled me on as well. Okay, okay, nice. So so kind of flipping that on its head, and and maybe this can be a personal success actually. But what's been the most recent personal success you've had? And again, that can be, you can be personal or professional. It's up to you, Mike. Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for personal actually for this because um, um, like a year ago and again just the other week, I ran my I ran a half marathon. Oh nice! Um, and so I ran my first half marathon last May, and I ran my second half marathon two weeks ago. And I'm I was not I was not a runner until two and a half three years ago. And um, as I wrote in one of my blogs, I think the week after. Which, uh, which actually I'll call. I tell you what I called it. So I'm quite impressed with that. <laughs> I called it. It's 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 not a half marathon. It's a so it's not a sprint. It's a half marathon. Well, it's a half marathon, not a. So I got that wrong, haven't I? It's not a half. Anyway, you get the gist. <laughs> oh, maybe you should edit out. That was awful. Um, that's what happens when you try and go for some self publicity, isn't it? Um, so where was I? Yeah, no, I, so I ran a half marathon. I was never a big runner, but I, I, you know, three years ago I got on a treadmill and after about two minutes I had to stop because I was knackered. Um, and then and then I eventually ran, ran, did more, ran 10K a couple of few years ago and then ran, ran, my, ran, a half marathon, ran a half marathon last year, which I never, never, never would have ever anticipated doing. 
Um, and I actually made that decision one, one November when I was running in the pouring, awful uh, sheets of rain and freezing cold. And somehow it was in that moment when I was doing that, for my, just doing a, you know, I don't know, a 5K, 10K run, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for the next maze half marathon. Um, and I think actually that links a little bit to my own kind of work thinking. You know, I gave you an example a minute ago of a really tough time in a college nine, ten years ago, which kind of scarred me, I think. Um, but I was determined I was going to use that and do well and be good and be successful and whatever that means. And by any whatever measures want, you know, people want to use, I, I was successful. And for me, that was really important. So I think i think for me yeah i don't know i don't quite know i don't always know where that comes from actually from inside me i don't know where it comes from but i'm but it, but it comes from when i need it and i guess that's a good thing yeah that's that's the most important thing right it doesn't matter it's it's kind of part of you and it and it's there when it needs to be there i guess it's probably the the best way to look at that i think so is, is there any plans for any more runs or are you kind of are you gonna are you looking at a marathon or are you gonna stick with halves <laughs> I have made a very clear and conscious decision. There is no way, anywhere at all, I'm running a marathon. Um, I tell you, you get to the end of a half marathon, the idea of turning around and doing it all over again is like, nope. Um, <laughs> actually, I don't, <laughs> but I don't actually have, someone says to me, if you decided that, then it won't happen. And, and, and they may be right, but actually, um, I don't have the motivation for that. I'm really happy at running a half. And I've got put myself in for the Manchester half in October. Because actually, I kind of someone that needs kind of targets to work towards, get me out running again. Um, so over the summer, I'll be kind of continuing running and getting myself ready for that in October. So I'm going to do that. And um, I, you know what? I, I've learned so much about myself. Well, not, a bit about myself, actually, as I've been doing running. Because I've kind of become, I have started to enjoy it. And it's interesting, actually. It's in my network of L&D. There's quite a lot of people, quite a lot of us run. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of support from people out there that that do that, and it's really finding it really helpful. Um, and um, I I kind of found that I do enjoy it, and I find it as really good time to have some space in my head. And I so I don't listen to music, I don't listen to anything, I don't like having headphones on, I don't want to have anything jabbering into my head when I'm running. Um, and it's probably the only time. So I'm really easily distracted, like massively. Anyone who's worked with me at all could, could probably tell you that. Um, that's why open plan offices are so bad. So yeah. <laughs> um, but I find it a really good space just to think things through. And I have some of my best ideas when I've been running, you know, blog art, blog titles, challenge, overcoming some challenges at work, um, thoughts around pieces of, des- work, of design. Um, and I've been really surprised by that, actually. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's been that's been good. It's been good actually. So, so when you run, do you run? So, when you do your half marathons, are you just doing it for the sake of them, or are you trying to beat your last time now? How do you, do you have that as a competition goal now, or is it just a case of actually just do it for the pure enjoyment of it? Well, I think most runners would probably tell you they're trying to beat their time. I would suggest um, they're not necessarily trying to beat anybody else. Um, but I think they're trying to beat themselves. Um, so yeah, I I I was really pleased, and I beat my time this 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 year significantly more than the last year. Though it was it was cooler. Last year was boiling hot, but nevertheless, I did my I did a personal best this year, um, and was really pleased. And so I am yeah. For me, I am 
trying to beat it and i did some specific training around running faster once i was convinced and kind of confident i had the distance in my leg you know i 21 kilometers i i then kind of did some work around pace and and you know what actually and i think there's i don't know without being too i think without being too forced there's some really good links here with workplace learning and the way we do and stuff as well because um for me once i became confident in how i could run i knew i could push myself so this year for example i knew even at sort of five six kilometers i could really push myself for a bit because i knew i wouldn't tire myself out and think oh my god i can't go any further i knew i could and i remembered that and i learned that and i knew it was fine and as a result i could push myself and i i think actually that's the case with work when you get to know it and get to know what you're doing and know, and you have confidence in yourself and your abilities you know what you can push with and you know what you can kind of either get away with i don't mean in terms of you know get away with in work but get away with yourself what you can do what you can push yourself to do what capabilities you have um and um yeah so yeah so for me, so it, I, I am competitive with myself there's no there's no doubt about that um, and I actually enjoy that. That that actually, so I'm not naturally a competitive person. Actually, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not naturally. I don't. You know, maybe Monopoly, perhaps, <laughs> or, or my computer when I'm playing backgammon with my computer. But but I, you know, I'm not naturally a competitive person uh, given the choice. But actually, being personally self-competitive, yeah, helps. Um, and I don't know how long that can go on for. But of course, as we all are, getting older. So I don't know how long, despite the age age happening, aging happening, we can continue to get faster. I don't know at what point they just reverse. You know, yeah, where's that tipping point? Definitely. So yeah, exactly. Okay, and so I guess maybe we can use the context of running. So, how many people turn up to these marathons? Roughly, do you know round number? Well, about well, the the, the one I ran the other day, there were five thousand running the half marathon last week, the other week. Okay. Okay, and then Adam has guessed, and let's just make up a number of a million people, just because, why not? Um, but let's just say you have a billboard and all the marathon runners and all the guests okay. and the marathon runners are going to see this billboard. What what message would you put on there? And it, and it probably doesn't have to be anything towards running, but what, what message would you put on a billboard to shape a million minds? Well, um, for me... I think it it would be it would patch into my kind of determination around having control over what we do. So I don't know something like this might sound I don't know a little bit harsh, but kind of if you don't if you're not enjoying what you're doing, think about how you might change it. You know, kind of yeah, in, in you know whether that's work, whether that's personal. Um, if you're not enjoying what what how life is think about how you can change it and i that might i don't know that could come across a bit arrogant i think i get people i get life's hard sometimes and we can't change everything but i think i've come you know i've come from a perspective where you know i've taken control of things if need be um and I, I personally um when i was younger I came out as gay hadn't been married and that was about taking control um, in a work situation, I wasn't happy. I wanted to move careers. I took control there. So I know I consider myself fortunate to be able to do that, I guess, in many, many occasions. But yeah, I think I'd, I'd want to encourage people to not just be satisfied if things aren't good for them. Try and try and help them, try and help themselves to really think if there's anything they can change to make the difference. Hmm. Really, really sound advice there. So, so I guess kind of 
I want to dig a little deeper. And you didn't think we could go any deeper? And yes, we can. Cool. <laughs> Goodness me, Danny. Whoa. <laughs> so, so I guess this is kind of more of a light height. But I guess when, you know, I think a lot of people within L&D tend to have this curious mind. I think um, a lot of people in L&D kind of, you know, we see this thing where the curiosity and the playing us disappears once we get older. And I think a lot of people in L&D kind of have managed to keep on to that. But taking you back to your kind of childhood, can you remember the... the the first time you ever got in trouble <laughs> you know what an instance comes to mind in an instance it shows how much that must be there for it to suddenly come to mind um i don't know if i should tell this now maybe i <laughs> <laughs> when i <laughs> oh um so i must be about seven and um <laughs> so that would be what that that would be class two in no yeah class two in the primary school these days and a teacher had we had a she was a really oh mrs hooper i mean she won't be around anymore she was a she was a war teacher i mean as in she must have trained just around the war and when i went to school God, i make it sound like i must be a hundred years old gosh <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about the 70s just in case anyone's wondering <laughs> um, but she was a good old-fashioned teacher to say the least and she had a sweet jar a sweet tin in her cupboard and she was quite she was a tough teacher really tough I and mean, she made me cry sometimes actually we had to stand in front and doing times tables recite them on our own in the middle of the in front of the class i mean this is not what you would call progressive education um but anyway me and my friends I'll just use first names. I doubt they're listening, but anyway, <laughs> David. Um, and we decided, and Scott, the three of us actually, um, safety in numbers, we decided we would, we would one break time raid her sweet tin. <laughs> it was a toffee twin. It might be a toffee tin, actually. Um, and we raided it. We basically stole, that's, that's no bones about it. We stole some toffees or bowl of sweets from a tin. Um, um, and I probably wouldn't remember this, but actually she found out. And we got into uh, massive trouble. I actually think I got a slap on the legs, which of course means your teacher would be out of a job these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's funny that's in my mind, isn't it? I, I remember that quite vividly, actually, from a billion years ago. Yeah, and I think, you know, fundamentally, this is one of the reasons why kind of for me experience design is really important for me when I design, and I say design, kind of... I use experience design in the context of experience design isn't necessarily kind of this digital thing or this whatever it's it can be an immersive experience or an experience what really pulls on your emotional gives you that emotional jerk and I think this is why we can remember our favourite teacher's name or you know the teacher who, who who slaps your legs or the bully's name or whatever and it's kind of about how you know these experiences have on recall and um, it's an interesting one it's definitely an interesting one so yeah, no, and I just say, I think memory is a good thing. And actually, just done a piece of work recently with people where we've kind of really pulled on storytelling from the past and the history and the stories of, of people to really help, you know, to generate that. So, no, I agree. No one, no one used that story, though, actually. You know, it's the first time I've ever said that publicly to anybody. I, I bet nobody knows that. They all, they all, they all listen that well now. <laughs> oh, yes, they oh, will once this yeah. goes out. <laughs> Danny, you really have sunk deep. Goodness me. <laughs> so. So I guess kind of going around to this, 
you know, I think a lot of us have, have read various books and whatever, and, and there's always a couple of books that really stand out. But if I was to ask you, kind of, Mike, what, what book would you give to five people? And it could be a book where you think everyone should read. It could be a book where it's changed your life or your perspective on things. What book would you give as a gift to five people? Mm, I mean, um, I often actually berate myself for not being a bigger reader. I should read more. I want to read more. I, I do. I do read as it happens, but <laughs> but not as much as I'd like to. And I see people on Twitter that are reading like 50, 60 books a year. I'm like, I don't even begin to know how that happens, literally. Um, but um, that said, um, there's a great Judy Cooper book out. No, I'm joking. Um, there, <laughs> um, there's a book that I read a while ago, um, which I enjoyed and I think pertains quite well to um, sort of the L&D world, which is, um, it's people, a lot of people will know it, I have no doubt, a book called The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. Um, it's it's a well-read book in the L&D world, I would say. Um, and um, to say I actually read it would suggest I read it from cover to cover, which I didn't. I kind of dipped in heavily. I heavily dipped into bits in in, in the past. So, though it's actually something I'd be quite keen to look at again as I'm looking at my bookshelf. Might be one I pull off again to look at. Um, but what was, one? It's it's a, it's a nice read because. What he does, and he actually interesting enough, he wrote it in 80, originally in 1988, and then he updated it maybe five or six years ago, and he gives lots of examples of things in everyday life that are designed bizarrely. Of course, in the 80s, he talks about things like I don't know VCRs, where when he updated it a couple of years ago, of course he, you know, no one would know what he's talking about. <laughs> talks about those sort of things, old-fashioned stuff, um, and he, um, and he, and he really talks about. The, des- the design of things and products, you know, doors opening properly, you know, so making sure when we go to a door, we open it in the right way, not from the hinge, we, we push it rather than pull it or vice versa. Things that kind of get in the way of the smooth running of our lives. And we probably experience that every day. I mean, one of the biggest things is sticking a USB stick in. You know, how often do we get it upside down, even though we probably do it regularly or pushing something into the USB port? You know, it's those sort of things, and it really appealed to me because it's it's fun, it's fun, and you're sitting there thinking, "Oh yeah, that's designed really badly. I hate it when that happens." And and he also links in with sort of the elements around um, kind of learning and how our memories work. Uh, and so for me, that stuff really works well with learning design because, of course, you know, we are helping people to be better at doing their jobs. We're helping people. We're looking to design you know, uh, interventions, solutions, ideas, support businesses, whatever, in as straightforward a way as possible. And I'm a believer in trying not to make things complicated. Um, and and the simplicity with a bit of thought as to how someone's going to use it and how it's going to impact on their day-to-day life, I think is really key when we're designing and working on ideas within our business and and, and ultimately how it helps us remember to do that. So. Um, yeah, so it's a book I'd recommend very much. So um, it's fun to read, and 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 it's got a lot of, a lot of application to life and and how we do our work. Yeah, it's it's a great book, and I think the one thing where it does at the end is it kind of switches you on to the the things what you've kind of got so used to dealing with in life, and you know when you talk about the USB stick and whatever else and the Norman doors and stuff like that. Um, and the plugs, the plugs in in hotels, kind of when you push it down, but what goes on, it's a nightmare. To it's a um, it's it's a great book, definitely. 
but what? yeah 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 that's no, cool no go on go for it man go no, no so <laughs> because there's a because actually the point he made and this is so often the case actually there's a point where he talks about um the problems people often come up with are not the actual problems there's a bigger underlying issue and that resonates massively because how often do we get people coming along to us and saying oh we've got this issue we've got this problem can you solve it for us can you do something for us and in reality, once you start having that discussion, that isn't the issue, is it? Yeah. It's something <laughs> underneath that. And it's like, yeah, you know, so, um, yeah, no, I thought it was a nice, nice link there. No, definitely. So, so I guess kind of when, you know, I, I, and, and you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, and I kind of want to take this one or two ways, so we'll probably not go in both. But when, it talk, when we talk about kind of, you know, the design of everyday things and, and actually, when someone comes to us with a, a problem, actually, we tend to come with it what they perceive as their solution. And we get, we get, you know, I think something as simple as this five whys. Why is it that? Why, why, why? I mean, you kind of slowly peel back the, the layers and stuff. But I guess what what's the biggest problem? And maybe maybe it's too early to say this in your current role, but in your maybe in your previous role, what was the biggest problem you was facing? Well, um, I, I was say, well, I, I think. I mean, there's what thing that comes to mind. This is le- this is more about how we engage people, I suppose. The, the the biggest challenge, and I would say it's been in you know my last organisation, and you know even where I am at the moment, is around helping people get for is around people. Um, I suppose, take a better term, taking responsibility for how they develop at work. Uh, the ownership thing, I guess. Because for me, and it ties into stuff we mentioned already, if people are just expecting a kind of a solution, or be that going on a course, be that, uh, you know, whatever, you know, then, then people won't benefit from that because you need to do more with something than just that and i think ultimately for people to develop themselves be able to work more smartly um requires them to really think about how they are themselves how they're developing how they're learning how they're applying that learning um and i think it was definitely 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 a problem in a in a company with sixty thousand people in which where i was previously and going about trying to change that, I mean, literally, I, I, you know, I, I don't even know how you do that in a company of five hundred people where I am now. I think there's a there's a greater chance of being able to do that, um, and it, you know, just you know, is about size and not just size. I think it's about size and about maybe open mindedness around it and a culture. But I think, I think that, and I think that frustrates me a lot because I'm a learning professional, always have been, and. Of course, as you said, you know, you know, we're passionate about development and learning and ideas. And maybe, and when other people see that CL&D, whatever you want to call it, as just that department that does this, this and this, and, you know, not more than that, that really frustrates me professionally and, and, and personally because I'm like, well, don't you get it? Don't you understand? If you take responsibility for yourself and you help with this, you get involved with that and you undertake your own sort of self-directed learning process, you'll be, you know, you'll be better. You'll be even better. You'll be even better. You'll be able to progress further or maybe get a next job or be better at something or get a promotion or whatever people are looking for, you know? Yeah. So for me, so for me, that is a massive challenge, massive challenge. 
And if anyone's cracked that, <laughs> you know, a, a message on a postcard kind of thing, you know? <laughs> um, um, and I, uh, maybe we never really crack it, but, but, and I, and I, and I'm not suggesting with that, that it's just um, all about other people getting it. We in LMD absolutely have a role to help people um, develop that. And I guess that goes back right to the beginning when we're talking about people on when, on not, when they're all coming in for onboarding, grabbing that, them at that moment. But it is a mindset. It's a massive mindset change to help for people to say, yeah, don't look upon this as L&D and the function that will help you. Just do it when you want it. We're going to we're in partnership and, and we're going to try and help you um, together to help you be self perpetuating your development, I guess. Yeah. So. That, that 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 I think under for me that underpins mo- so 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 much what we're trying to do. Okay, okay, and, and I guess it's interesting you mentioned kind of like with engagement and stuff, and kind of in a very disjointed segue, I want to get onto kind of social media. So you're an active kind of person on social media, and you kind of touched upon it a little bit later. Kind of it, it open, you know, this kind of opened up a whole new world. So I guess the first part of this kind of social media part is. Do you see social media as a net positive or a net negative to society? I I absolutely see it as a net positive. Um, I refuse to allow myself to be drawn into just the negatives. You know, as as people say, ultimately, social media is a new, you know, itself is a neutral tool. It's how people use it. You know, and as any as anything throughout life, throughout history, we can look at. People didn't like the television originally; they thought it'd be evil. They probably said the same about the radio, um, and and even printing presses. You go back hundreds of years, you know, printed words. So no, I think I think it's a net positive. There is, of course, absolutely no doubt. There's some massive, massive challenges with it, um, it and 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 the, and the damage people use it for. Now it's not those people weren't having those thoughts before, but just of course it's so much easier to get them out there, and. And and for me, the damaging stuff is around how individuals can be treated. Um, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant thing for connecting people, for sharing ideas, for reaching out, for opening up people's eyes and minds and thoughts. I think that is mind-blowing. It's actually so hard to imagine that we didn't have it. Well, some of these things just 10 years ago. I I pinch myself to think it's all that new. Um, but I think it really does open up a world and of opportunities. I think it can literally change people's lives if it's depending how they use it. Um, but of course, for anything, we have to be really mindful of the, 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 the sort of, you know, pernicious people, people that are using it for bad means, um, you know, and, and like anything, I would say social media, you know, I know it's been around you know, not that long. And as a result, you know, we're still learning how to use it. Um, we're still working out what it really means to us as a world, as a society, and maybe we're a bit too harsh on ourselves sometimes to be thinking it's still, you know, it's, 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 it yields so many problems. That's not to say we shouldn't be dealing with them now. We should be, but I think probably we we have to recognise we're still in that embryonic stage of it because I would imagine you jump 20, 30, 40 years ahead. I mean, I can't even begin to think what that would look like, but we will look back on this and see it as, you know, those early teething troubles we were having in the same way, as I said, telephones and TVs and video games or whatever were having teething problems back in the day. Um, I think it presents a massive opportunities for our lives, really does. And, you know, yeah. 
So, so, kind of thinking about this social media and and I kind of I, I guess thinking at it with um, an L and an L and D perspective. But what's your take on kind of L and D as a general, not necessarily maybe not as your PLM, but as a general? What's your take on um, L and D's presence of social media on social media? Well, I'm. I mean, it, it's. It's. I mean, it's hard for me to be. Well, well. I mean, I guess you're not asking me to be objective, really. Um, but I mean, I'm stuck. I feel right. I feel very much integrated into it. Um, for me, um, I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing today. In fact, I know I. I would not be doing today what I'm doing if it hadn't been social media and for the L and D network within whatever that whatever you want to define that. The world of L and D, the world of HR that use social network and the people that use it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be where I am in terms of my work. I wouldn't be where I am in terms of a lot of my thinking, and I definitely wouldn't be in a place where I'm able to get challenged and challenge myself on a daily basis. That wasn't. I don't think that's. You know, I did when I think. If I think back to my old career as a, in education. Of course, social media existed, but actually, I didn't use it very much, and I don't know what its presence was. So, I, so it's hard for me to make a comparison for that for me. But for me, I get the opportunity to get challenged and challenge others and help move things forward. Um, so, I think, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a good world. I think, when, I think the LND network, the uh, social media, is a, is a very good world. Um, and I've actually had my mind blown by it in the last nearly three years. Um, you know, it, it, it literally, it literally did change my life. Stumbling across a, a Friday morning L and D chat. Um, you know, so I'm a big, I'm a massive fan of it, and it gets me a bit when people say, "Oh, I'm not, I shouldn't do this." Of course, people say, "Oh, I don't really like Twitter. I'm not really, I don't really get it. I don't really like it." I have to sort of hold myself back a bit, really, because I then start. I could stand on a table and start talking for an hour about it, which I tend not to do. <laughs> well, I have done. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but LinkedIn and other things, you know, any network really, you know, it's um, that's just my network. Twitter particularly is my network of choice, platform of choice. So, so kind of, it, so given Twitter's your kind of platform, platform of choice, what three people would you recommend everybody should follow? Oh, um, hmm. Um, I, First of all, David James. Um, David, actually, I came across David a couple of years ago and listened to him on a podcast, and um, he talks massive masses of sense, um, and you know, really like, and, and really taking a lot of ideas from him, um, and, and you know, he's a he's a great guy. Um, so David, David, and actually on Twitter, he's David in Learning. Um, I, if you're looking for, uh, for me as well, um, the, you know, I, I, I like the sort of stuff Twitter does, which is kind of quite visual as well. And uh, I like sort of different things it sort of yields up. Um, and, uh, Rachel Burnham on Twitter is, uh, is great to follow. I think it's, I think, um, yeah, well, Rachel Burnham, um, I think it's Burnham LMD. And 
Rachel is very renowned for many things, but including her sketch noting. Um, and, uh, you know, while I haven't really fully adopted sketch noting, I, the, you know, the way it's used, where she uses it to record thinking ideas, events is, is great. And I think there's some great visuals there that people could kind of find and see and use and get a head around. Um, and, um, oh, um third person i mean there's oh, so many people there's millions of people um that you know really influenced me i find that i really love um i would um you know also say um uh, julie Drybra, who is fuchsia, at fuchsia blue on on twitter julie is uh a, a sort of facility well she's a, she's a million things um, and actually she's just finished 21 days of writing and she's written some brilliant beautiful stuff um as well as being a, 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 you know great in the lmd hre worlds for challenge for ideas for creativity and um she inspires me with all sorts of different ways of thinking in terms of my design that push me outside of my own comfort zone um, so, um, if you, you know, if people don't follow those three people, they will, and they do, and if they started to, they would, you know, get a lot of good thinking, good ideas, some very different kind of sort of perspectives. Okay. Okay. So, so this is kind of more about you. So, do you even like yourself, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> this is a tough hour, Danny, isn't it? It's a tough gig, this one. <laughs> Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, um, something, you know, as you may have picked up, I've, you know, for me, it's really important about, um, you know, doing, you know, um, being, being as happy as I can, doing stuff, in, uh, taking control of my life, I guess. So, um, uh, I'm at a stage where I, very much, I would say yeah, very happy with myself. I do like myself. Um, I mentioned earlier in passing that I did really badly at school. I mean, I did abysmally bad. I don't know why. Still to this day, I don't know why I did so badly. I mean, just, I don't know. Um, and I, you know, ended up eventually going to uni and, and, and doing various things at post undergrad level and then postgrad level and, and various stuff and, and doing well in my careers. And that, I'm, I'm not saying that to kind of be big-headed. I'm saying that from a perspective of I didn't think probably years ago when I, although I liked school, I enjoyed going to school. I thought I was, I was an average, I was, an, I was actually above average student. I just, goodness knows what happened with my exams. No idea. I was too lazy, actually. That's the bottom line. I was too damn lazy. I used to go to Lord's Cricket Ground, actually, and try and revise by watching cricket. I mean, like, <laughs> how's that going to work, you know? Um, um, but basically, so I had to kind of do something to really sort of show myself and maybe others, but ultimately for myself to, to do stuff. And I think as I've gone through my career as well, having been in a job I didn't like and made a move, been successful in that second role, that other role I had as a senior role in colleges, then made a transition into the world of L&D, which I had to say took me a while moving across the commercial world into a new field. Took me quite a while because, you know, people that are recruiting didn't really get it. Um, with massive support for people in the network, in my network. Um, 
and I've had to really kind of work, kind of, you know, push, push myself internally. That's where the running came from, I guess, even though it was pouring rain and making decisions I took, um, pushing myself into doing things I maybe don't feel completely comfortable taking roles, you know, even when I'm in now, that, that's fairly, uh, it's quite going to be challenging and ambitious because for me, I believe in myself. That said, I definitely have a, a dose of imposter syndrome without a doubt. <laughs> um without a doubt but i kind of work with that you know i take it fairly light-hearted i'm a fairly light-hearted person and i don't let much kind of really get me down i kind of just kind of you know put it in a box where i can and deal with it um but but i feel pleased yeah i feel um i, I feel i feel i feel i'm happy and i think if i'm happy that means i like myself and if i like myself i feel happy um and i suppose i suppose i feel quite chilled um, which is good because I know that's not always possible to have in life. Um, so I feel very lucky, very lucky indeed. Um, but that, but that, you know, that's where I am at the moment. Hopefully, hopefully, you can stay there. Good, good, lovely put. I think it's interesting you mentioned imposter syndrome. I deal with that quite a lot. I think um, you know what I found the easiest way to deal with, that with imposter syndrome is kind of let people know you've got imposter syndrome. Like just, next time, just try it honestly. Just say whoa, this is a bit, and I, I kind of make light of it and, and acknowledge it rather than kind of put it in this this back pocket and, and kind of hope it will disappear. But it's a, it's an interesting, I think I think we all have a bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's talked about a lot actually. I think I think that's probably the case. So I, I don't do, I don't give myself a hard time over it. I mean, you know, I, even tonight I'd be thinking, well, why would Danny want to talk to me for an hour? Like, you know, what when, when given, you know, people you're gonna you have and they will have on your on the podcast you know but i but i'm like but you know i'm like it doesn't matter you know um because because i think ultimately if you if for me if i've got a belief in that i can do something that imposter syndrome kind of just dissipates you know and i think it's that balance isn't it between so i think imposter syndrome is just sometimes just a feeling for me okay for me it's a feeling yeah. And then when I sit down and think it through and think, well, if, if I even give it this t- much time, and I don't always, but sometimes I might, and I and I rationalise it, I think, well, actually, no, that's not there, and it just, it's just, it just disappears really, as if as if it wasn't there. And I think I probably try and a- a- attack or approach these things in a fairly pragmatic way. So I, I generally am pragmatic, and kind of that sort of approach works for me. So, um, but I think it's good for people to know people have that because it helps other people. And I definitely, I definitely like it when other people say that it makes me feel much more assured, particularly, you know, when people I'm, you know, who are also, you know, doing things that I'm, that I'm impressed with. And I'm like, wow, um, it's part of life, I guess, isn't it? Possibly. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting with this podcast. There's no, I see no hierarchy in people and my guests at the end of the day, every person's fascinating to me. So you know, there's no hierarchy. You know, this this conversation is just as valuable to me as sure. the next conversation. It, it, you know, I learned. My head tells me that exactly. My head tells me that, even if my original heart didn't. So you're right, absolutely, yeah. So I guess kind of going going full circle on this and 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 kind of wrapping it up now. So at the beginning. I asked you, you know, kind of what it is you wanted to be when you grow up. And as you know, Mike, we never really stop growing <laughs> up I and mean, we constantly develop. So if I was to ask you the question now of, Mike, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you say? Oh, oh 
I want to be, I want to be doing, I want to be, I just want to be doing stuff that is helpful and impactful. Whether that's, whatever that is, I want to be doing stuff that is contributing to something. Um, and I want to be enjoying what I'm doing. I want to be motivated and I want to be, I feel like I'm developing with that as well. Um, I say that's a cop-out answer, but that's what I strive for. No, I don't think that's a cop-out. I think that's a great answer. I think some of the most interesting people who I know, who are like 50, 60, whatever, still don't know where they want to be. And I think that's perfectly fine. So I guess kind of going for a circle, I, at start, I should pick four questions. And, and it's... Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Dead simple. These questions, these numbers, um, sorry, are kind of associated to a random list of items. And the idea is you're on a desert island and you found these four items. And your items are a thread, so I'm assuming like a kind of thread, cotton thread, um, a plastic fork, a button, and a sponge. What are you doing with these items, Mike? Where have you I'm just trying to visualise them actually. A sponge, a button, a plastic fork, and a thread. <laughs> I would set them as a challenging task for. I put, that's it, you have to say if I'm on my own on that desert island. Am I on my own? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I would find. I would set myself. I don't know. I would find some animals to do some development with and set them a task to use those and do some group work. I had the faintest idea. <laughs> <laughs> got a, I haven't got a ruddy clue. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So, so Mike, <laughs> where can people find them? Uh, where can people find out a little bit more about what you're up to and, and kind of, yeah, where can we follow you? So the best place uh, is on, on Twitter as at Mike Shaw L. Um, and on LinkedIn, of course, as Mike Shaw. Uh, but Twitter is where I would particularly love to engage with people. Awesome. Awesome, Mike. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Danny, thank you. You've made me work damn hard. So thank you. I'm knackered now, but thank you. It's been great. Thank no, you very much. No worries. This is the reason why I never have people come on the second time round. They just once you've been on first, I'm like, no, I'm never coming on it again. <laughs> <laughs> I need a stiff drink or sleep or something now. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Cheers, thank you.